Oh, hang on. I have a burp coming. Oh, it went away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. This is how we spend Fridays. <laughs> you read my mind, honestly. <laughs> this is what we're doing. You're naked in a closet. And I'm sitting. Jesus. Fuck. Okay. Uh. Welcome or welcome back to Poor Unfortunate Podcast. I'm Caroline Ametti. And I'm Connor Perkins. Welcome to all of our returning listeners. It's great having you back here with us. And to all of our new listeners, welcome. Thank you so much for hitting play. Please also remember to hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. That way all of our episodes download to your device. You don't miss out on anything. And at the end of the episode, make sure that you leave a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to the podcast. And existing listeners, if you haven't done that, you know what to do. You know when to do it. Caroline, what's new? Well, I will start with um, some parks news. Actually, is that everything? It's almost everything I have. So um, for me, again, o- always the funniest things that catch my eye. But a big thing for me is that Trattoria Al Forno at the boardwalk has reopened. And I think this is a big deal because that is home. And I am assuming that they have brought this back with the reopening of the restaurant. But that is home to, in my opinion, one of the best character meals in Disney World. Oh, yeah. The breakfast. The breakfast where Ariel and Eric and Flynn and Rapunzel are there. And all of the food, It's first of all, the food is great. And the food is themed to both of their movies. It's It's not overly crowded. You get a really nice amount of time with the characters. I hope they've brought that back because that's spectacular. So if you have not experienced that, highly recommend. Trattoria El Forno is really, really great. Uh, yesterday or two days ago, um, the water tower was installed yeah. at Tiana's Bayou Adventure. So it's just like it's topped with a little tiara, which we knew. But I actually didn't know that the back reads, never, ever lose sight of what's really important. Well, did you also know that on the on the tiara, there's two little like shimmers, two little stars at the top of it. Stop and it. from far away, they just look like shimmers on it. But they're two stars. It's Ray and Evangeline oh on the tiara part. God. Yeah. And then, really, the biggest parks news that we've gotten: Genie Plus. We've got to change. Oh, right. Yeah. Let's make it more confusing. Hey, I, I know, I know. So, in an effort, I will call it a nice effort by Disney to make it more manageable for people. I don't really buy it, but guests may now purchase either a single park or multiple parks option of the service, which could mean lower prices for guests depending upon the date and upon availability. So, for example, on June 27th, when this change launched, um, Genie Plus was showing a low of $16 if you just wanted to do Animal Kingdom for the day and a high of $27 per person for multiple parks or for just 
Magic Kingdom alone, which is like yeah, confusing. Yeah, I'm like at that point, uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm glad to see them fiddling around with it and knowing that people aren't satisfied. This should not be the last change. There there needs to be a lot more changes. But also to that remember system. when they were like, oh, it's gonna be like fifteen dollars a day. <laughs> yeah, nah. And here we yeah. are. We we're like, oh my gosh, it was the lowest was sixteen. Hooray! <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can buy that. Also, Josh DeMauro, if you do not know, chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products, has stated that, quote, something will happen with the soon-to-be-closed Galactic Star Cruiser. My guess is that they're going to turn it into a hotel, just like without the immersive experience. I mean, the rooms, I don't know why anyone would really want to stay there because the rooms are so small and no windows and they're kind of awful. (laughs) But that's the, or unless it's going to be some like major, I think what would be smart is instead of a hotel, it's like a very like multiple like hour dining experience kind of thing where it's like you get the immersive experience of the Star Cruiser, but it's for like three hours or something like that. Yeah. I feel like that could work. Or like a Disney Quest sort of situation, but all Star Wars where it's like a combination of like food and maybe some like arcade style VR, maybe Star Wars shit. I don't know. I would pay But probably hotel. I wouldn't pay. I would not pay to stay at that hotel. But if there was some sort of, like you said, Disney Quest experience or more in-depth dining, I would, I mean, of course, within reason and Disney is really never within reason. Within some sort of reason, I would pay to do that. I think I would. So yeah. I'm looking forward to finding out what that will be. I just, I wanted to go to Galactic Star Cruiser, but they wouldn't discount it. Disney, it's not too late. We are we are still available up until the Star Cruiser closes. Listen, there's a writer's strike <sighs> happening. There might be an actor's strike happening. I'm available. You know how to reach me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then just a quick little... um update correction from our last episode. So we were talking about all of the titles that were going to be removed from Disney Plus and our wonderful fan member Ryan let us know that indeed the Howard documentary will remain on Disney Plus. Thank goodness because there was understandable and considerable backlash. I know and I was reasons. and there the was Little me Mermaid being like out. it's what pride can we month. Do? Yeah, so it, it's just funny because it's like Disney listened to that. They have the power to keep all of those things up on the stream. But Willow is gone. Willow, the series is gone. Damn. It's already gone. But speaking of Disney Plus, the new Marvel TV series Secret Invasion has premiered. Um, Mm. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm not very jazzed that they made the quote unquote artistic choice to design the main title sequence using AI. Um, what? Yeah, they said it was an artistic choice because they were like, that feels like very much like a thing. And and oh the, the house that, that cr- created it was like, the artist still generated it with the AI. And I was like, yeah, but here's the thing. A, it doesn't really look good. And B, why are we opening these doors? You know, the why slippery slope we, begins. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like it. But uh, if we want to talk about Disney releases today when we're recording this, it's June 28th. Uh, so by the time that you all hear this, Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny will be yes. out. So very excited for that. They had the premiere a couple weeks ago. John Williams surprised everybody with the orchestra and, and conducted a suite oh. of Indiana Jones, which like oh. bucket list kind of thing. Incredible. Um, and then... We also today just got character posters for 
Haunted Mansion coming oh, out July goodness. 28th. Oh, also, we got goodness. the multiple different screenings. They are doing a 40X screening. We are going to go to the 40X <laughs> We're screening. We're absolutely doing that. <laughs> I want to get punched a lot. I, do I, too. I need it. Oh my God. Listen, these character posters look so yeah. good. The tarot this, cards. This whole this whole haunted mansion experience has been so interesting because I've been wanting them to redo this story for so long and it's crept up on me. Like suddenly it's here. I feel like it's been flying a little bit under the radar. It's interesting. It has. I, I'm going to remain optimistic about this too. And I was yeah. saying to you earlier today, I'm like, I have a feeling if this does really, really well, like pirates of the Caribbean jungle cruisey sort of well, mm-hmm. They might go the route that they're going with Jungle Cruise, and maybe mm-hmm. in a sequel, they visit a different mansion, like maybe the Magic Kingdom mansion, or maybe like Phantom Manor or oh, Mystical I, Manor. Oh, I want like both of them. Drawing inspiration oh. from all of these different mansions oh. in the way that Jungle Cruise has all of the different rivers that are present in the ride. Yeah, so, if we got to have the Hudson Valley Sleepy Hollow Haunted Mansion movie too, oh, girl, I would we would be break so onto that set. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> But then, I, like, one of the last things I'll say, because we'll just kind of keep this a little bit short because we've got mm-hmm. quite the episode for you. We do. I saw Elemental. Yeah. And I implore everyone, please, please go see this movie. Go see it in a theater. Mm. It hit every single point that I needed it to. Easily going to be one of those Pixar films that I will return to time and time again. Wow. The score from Thomas Newman is exceptional. The animation, there's there are so many new things happening in this animation. Things where me sitting alone in the theater, I was audibly gasping at how beautiful things were, mm. how I was moved. The short before, which is Carl's date, I wept. I oh, wept no. during oh, that short. No. It's beautifully done. But listen. All the time, people are on the internet. They're saying, like, Disney should do original stuff. Stop just doing live-action remakes. Stop doing sequels and everything like that. Pixar has put out a completely original film in Elemental. This is what we ask for. Mm -hmm. Go show up and go see it. Peter Sohn, the director, I have absolutely loved basically everything that he's done. He did The Good Dinosaur. He did uh, The Short Partly Cloudy. That's where I, like, fell in love Mm -hmm. with him. He directs a truly beautiful film in this. I think there's something for everybody in it. And it's a, it's a oh. love story. But it's also it's not just a love story. It's also about immigrants and mm. feeling beholden to carrying on family tradition versus striking out on your own. It's really, really, it's really beautiful. Oh. It, all around. Story, design, all of it. So please go see Elemental. And if you want someone to talk about it with you, you know where to find me. So... I will gladly talk about it with you. All right. So I think that's going to do it for us for news. So now we're going to move on to our showdown episode of this non-Disney cycle. Clutch the pearls. And honestly, last episode, Connor said, make peace with your God about this one. And that's... It's pretty accurate. <laughs> I don't think that I did make peace with my God before we're about to do this. Caroline, what are we doing? We are doing a showdown to kind of end all showdowns. So we've done showdowns between films before. And we are taking two of the biggest of the non-Disney animation renaissance. And that is The Swan Princess 
and Anastasia. Yeah, this is like one of those massive ones where I feel like we would talk about doing it, but like never do it because we'd be like, that's yeah. just too big. That's too big. We're doing we, it. We're doing it. So we're listen, people, it. if you haven't watched The Swan Princess or you haven't watched Anastasia, this is the time where I'm going to tell you to go do that now. You can watch Anastasia. Oddly enough, it's on Disney+. Plus. I thought they had taken it down and I was pleasantly no, surprised to see it's still there. No, okay. it's still there because yeah. Disney bought Fox and yeah. that's where this is, which... We'll talk about it, but it's just like so interesting that's on Disney Plus when it is like so not Disney. (laughs) Swan Princess is a little bit harder to find. Sometimes it pops up on Amazon, sometimes it pops up on Hulu. Like it it jumps around to places, but currently when we're recording this, it is not anywhere. Yeah. So (laughs) Caroline and I both (laughs) bought it because it's worth it to us. I I, because I remember back in the day when I was in high school, like right when like we really started getting into YouTube, I found a version of it that somebody put up and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid and it like blew my mind and like me and all my friends like went to YouTube and watched this like terrible version of it. You can't really find that anywhere anymore if they ta- they've taken those down. So I actually bought mine on YouTube. So yeah. yeah. What can yeah, you do? Just do a, do a rental of it. It's worth it. And then if you like it that much, you can buy it. You mm-hmm. probably will like it that much or you probably yeah. already have it. Yeah, exactly. But this is the time where I tell you all to stop the podcast, go watch these movies. If there's anything that you haven't seen or if you need a nice little rewatch to refresh, we'll wait. We'll be here. Pause it. Watch. Come back. And welcome back. Okay. Phew. So the way that we're <laughs> the way that we're gonna do this. <laughs> this is intimidating. So we're going to talk about it really through two different lenses. One, just comparing, you know, just a real specific little lens. The movie as a whole. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other way that we're going to sort of be looking at this is through the longevity of the film slash what Disney missed out on by not Mm -hmm. having it as one of their stories. Yeah. But before we do that, some background information. (laughs) All right, we're going to kick it off with The Swan Princess because it was released first. So here we go. The Swan Princess was released on November 18th, 1994. It was distributed in North America by New Line Cinema and produced by Nest Entertainment. The film was directed by Richard Rich, who also directed for Disney, The Fox and the Hound, the Black Cauldron, yeah, and baby. we love, and then also a not another non Disney thing that I was a huge fan of, which was the animated version of the musical The King and I, which I had on VHS and I loved. Um, in addition to assistant directing the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, among other Disney works, the screenplay is by Brian Nissen, based on the ballet Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky. The score and songs were composed by Lex Azevedo with lyrics by one of my favorites, who I talk about all the time, David Zippel, my man. I am Bad Cinderella. <laughs> I love you, David, and I love you, Bad Cinderella. The cast includes Michelle Nicastro as the speaking voice of Odette with Liz Calloway. Oh, our baby girl. Liz our Calloway. baby girl providing Odette's singing voice. But interestingly, I did not know this. Michelle was a trained vocalist who appeared in many things, one of them being Eponine in the national tour of Lame Is. So I'm oh. curious to know why they didn't have her do her own singing. Interesting. I don't know why. <laughs> That's very... Yeah. That is interesting. I know what happened 
for Anastasia why we got Liz Calloway. Also, yeah, if you didn't right. know, this is sort of like the battle of the Calloways. <laughs> yes, it is. Because Liz yes. Calloway is the singing voice of both of the princesses <laughs> in this. And it's also sort of like the battle that. of the animators who left Disney. Exactly. Because yeah. Richard Rich left Disney and yep. Don Bluth famously yeah. left Disney. Yeah, interestingly, a lot of these characters, as I'll, I'll share in a moment, have doubles of their the singing and speaking voices. And I just, I, I wonder why. So moving on in the cast, Howard McGillen, Broadway's longest running Phantom of the Opera, my first I Phantom. I saw him. Yeah, I he saw was him my too. first Phantom. I wrote him a letter. He wrote me a letter back. He is a gem of a human being as the speaking and singing voices of Prince Derek. We have Jack Palance as Sir Rothbart's speaking voice. The singing voice is provided by Lex D. Azevedo, the composer. Did not know that either. Interesting, because their voices sound right? very similar. Yeah, fascinating. Good matching. To me. Good yes. matching, Lex. And we have John Cleese as Jean Bob with David Zippel as his singing voice. Just yeah. interesting. We have Stephen Wright as Speed with Jonathan Hattery as his singing voice, Sandy Duncan as Queen Uberta, Dakin Matthews as King William. Steve Vinovich as Lieutenant Puffin, and James Arrington as Sir Chamberlain with Davis Gaines as his singing voice. In terms of any awards, there's really just only one involved with Swan Princess so far longer than forever. The love theme of the movie, which we will talk about, was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Song, losing to Can You Feel the Love Tonight from (laughs) The Lion King. (laughs) Yeah. The budget of this film was $21 million, and unfortunately, it only grossed $9.8 million at the box office. It was considered a major bomb, likely due to the fact that it had to compete with the re-release of The Lion King, which Variety called sabotage on Disney's part. And I believe this is true, and we will talk more about that. The Swan Princess has a 66% audience score in Rotten Tomatoes, which I feel like is a little rude, and a 6.4 on IMDb, which is also a little rude. The film gave birth to a full series of Swan Princess films, mostly direct-to-video, 10 of them in total. The most recent, The Swan Princess, A Fairy Tale is Born, was released last month. So <laughs> Wait, uh, what? May 2023. Yes. <laughs> Get out. So box office bomb or not, interest in these characters and this story has clearly not waned over time. This latest one is actually a bit of a prequel to the film. I, I definitely lost myself for a moment in in the synopses of all 10 of these films. And wow, they have really built some lore around like these characters. Odette and Derek end up adopting a daughter. There's just, There's a lot going on in there, but we don't have time for that. So we'll skip it for now. And just for a teeny tiny bit of background information, as we mentioned briefly, the Swan Princess owes its existence to a Disney firing. Richard Rich had already directed The Black Cauldron and The Fox and the Hound and was set to direct Oliver and Company, but was fired by Pete Schneider, Disney feature animation president at the time. So he formed Rich Animation Studios with 26 employees, largely former Disney employees. A little plot synopsis. This is a little bit IMDb, a little bit me. Spoilers lie ahead, as we always say, just like if you haven't watched and you don't want to know what happens and you don't know the ballet or anything yet, I'm about to spoil it for you. So as children, Prince Derek and Princess Odette are forced to spend their summers together by their widowed parents who hope that the two will eventually fall in love and marry so their two kingdoms can be united. 
As children and then adolescents, Derek and Odette can't stand each other. But as young adults, they begin to see each other in a different light and fall in love with each other. But one night, things take a turn when Derek unintentionally offends Odette, who then refuses to marry him if he can't prove that he loves her for who she is and not just her beauty. Odette and her father are then attacked by Lord Rothbart, a vengeful sorcerer who was cast out of William's kingdom when he plotted against the king. In the form of a beast, Rothbart kills King William and kidnaps Odette, placing her under a spell that turns her into a swan during the day. She can only become human again when the moonlight touches her wings while she is on Swan Lake, and the spell can only be broken by a vow of everlasting love. Derek, who has been searching for Odette since her disappearance, refusing to believe that she is dead, may be the one who can break the spell and release Odette from Rothbart's clutches, who is trapping Odette until she agrees to marry him and make him ruler of her kingdom. All right. Have you heard? (laughs) There's a rumor in St. Petersburg. We're going to talk about (laughs) Anastasia. And so I'm going to give you some background information. It premiered November 14th, 1997, and was officially released in the United States on November 21st, 1987. It was produced and directed by Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. If you don't know who these people are, they are famous Disney animators. They defected from Disney. Uh, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman left to create Don Bluth Studios, the Mm Bluth-Goldman Studios. And then Anastasia became the first film from Fox Animation Studios. So they Mm -hmm. got Goldman and Bluth together to basically create an animation department for 20th Century Fox. The screenplay is by Susan Gauthier, Bruce Graham, Bob Zudiker, and Noni White an adaptation by Eric Tuchman. It's based on the 1956 film by Arthur Lorenz and the 1954 play by Marcel Moret. The music is by David Newman. Fun fact, his father, Alfred Newman, composed the music for the 1965 film. Interesting. Hmm. The songs are by Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty. We know them from Once on this Island, Ragtime, Seussical. And it stars, among others... Meg Ryan as the speaking voice of Anastasia. Our girl Liz Calloway as the singing voice of Anastasia. Kirsten Dunst as young Anastasia's speaking voice. Lacey Chabert as the singing voice of young Anastasia. John Cusack as Dimitri's speaking voice. Jonathan Dukachitz as Dimitri's singing voice. Christopher Lloyd as Rasputin's speaking voice. Jim Cummings, a.k.a. Pooh Bear, Ray, Tigger, everything else, as Rasputin's singing voice. Wow. Kelsey Grammer as Vlad. Hank Azaria as Bartok. Angela Lansbury as the Dowager Empress Marie. Bernadette Peters as Sophie. Andrea Martin as Comrade Flemenkoff, the orphanage owner. (laughs) And the other ensemble voice talents include J.K. Simmons, Patrick Quinn, Billy Porter, (gasps) Lilius White, and Victoria freaking Clark. Oh, my God. They stacked this. Oh, my God. Fox was like, we're not here to play. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Interesting thing about Liz Calloway. Liz Calloway had recorded some of the demos of it. And Meg Ryan was like kind of unsure of the singing. John Cusack was very upfront that he was like, I can't sing. So mm. you're going to have to find someone to do it. And they liked Liz Calloway's demos enough that they were like, well, just keep them. 
Ah. Because, I mean, it's perfect. (laughs) Oh, man. The budget for this film was a humble $53 million. Yike! The box office for this film was $140 million. It was followed by direct-to-video spinoff Bartok the Magnificent, which I saw and I hated, and a 2016 stage musical based off the 20th Century Fox films, both the animated version Mm -hmm. and the live-action version from 1956. It has an IMDb score of 7.1, a Rotten Tomato score being certified fresh with an 84% aggregate score and 77% audience score. Let's talk about some of the awards and reception here. Mm -hmm. It was nominated for Academy Awards for Best Original Musical or Comedy Score and Best Original Song for Journey to the Past. It was nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song for both Journey to the Past and Once Upon a December, Mm. which Aaron's and Flaherty famously wrote during a heat wave in the summer. And they just wanted to be cold. (laughs) So they wrote Once Upon a December. Unfortunately, it won none of these awards because it was up Dang. against fucking Titanic. So, <laughs> sorry. Uh. Our hearts will go on. The critical response to the film was quite positive for Fox Animation Studios' first film. Some praised the story and the voice performances, while others criticized the lack of historical accuracy. Many parallels were drawn to the films of the Disney Renaissance, with the Phoenix's Jeffrey Gantz saying, quote, If imitation is indeed the sincerest form of flattery, then the folks at Disney should feel royally complimented by 20th Century Fox's new animated feature. Still, others noted that while it is a beautifully animated musical feature, the animation remains inferior to that of Disney and lacks the same magic. Mm. I'm going to give you a plot synopsis. Uh, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to spoil anything, but you've already seen Mm. the movie, so it doesn't even matter if I do. Right. We are in an alternate 1916 celebrating the 300th year of the Romanov reign in Imperial Russia, where Angela Lansbury is both British and Russian. (laughs) <laughs> In the height of the festivities at the palace, an evil sorcerer-slash-priest-slash-royal advisor named Rasputin, who could not be more different than his historical counterpart, curses the family that the family line will end with their death. When the curse inspires the people of Russia to revolution, and they straight-up murder the royal Romanov family— mm. Anastasia and her grandmother managed to escape, but in the mad rush to leave and a trip on some train tracks, Anastasia is separated from her grandmother and knocked unfucking conscious. Ten years later, the 18-year-old amnesiac orphan Anya is searching for answers about her past when she meets a con man, Dimitri, and his partner, Vlad. They're searching for someone to pass as the lost princess in order to scam the aging dowager into reward money like a bunch of assholes. But unbeknownst (laughs) to them, they have stumbled upon the real deal. With Anastasia's return, Rasputin awakens to finish off his curse before Anya can make it to Paris and discover the truth about her past and decide on her path. Mm. And that's Anastasia. Heard of it? (laughs) Okay. So let's just, um, we're going to talk about the overall story for these films. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about everything that's 
going right for which film do we want to start with? We want to do Swan Princess or do we want to start with Anastasia? Let's go back to Swan Princess. Great. All right. So I think for me, one of the main strengths of the story is that I honestly just think the idea of turning this iconic ballet, which itself was inspired by German and Russian folklore, into an animated film is brilliant and honestly kind of a no-brainer for 90s animation. Thinking about what was still up for grabs that Disney had not already adapted was probably tough. And this is a really, really great catch. It's not it's not a fairy tale on the shelf, but it's a fairy tale nonetheless. So I think that was a great call in general. This film also makes one of my favorite, and I feel like I'm starting to talk about it every episode now, my favorite fairy tale adjustment, which is creating history and backstory between the prince and the princess. Mm -hmm. It makes the story so much more high stakes than the love at first sight that happens between Odette and he's called Siegfried in the ballet. It makes us root for it all to work out even more. And it gives us a little bit more context as to where all of this love comes from, which brings me to my next point. I love, I I cannot emphasize how much I love the exchange that causes the record scratch in Derek and Odette's falling in love moment. I mean, this, this stands out for me in 90s, in animation, period. Yeah, it does. So for those of you who might not know it as well. Derek and Odette are finally starting to fall in love with each other. They're having a moment. Derek kisses Odette once and then suddenly commands his mother to arrange the marriage between them. And Odette says, wait. <laughs> to which Derek replies, <clears throat> what? You're all I've ever wanted. You're beautiful. Thank you, Odette replies iconically. But what else? Is beauty all that matters to you? And when Derek fumbles into the ever-memorable way to, quote, offend woman in five syllables or less by saying, (laughs) what else is there? Eh. Odette straight up leaves. She leaves. It's over. This is pretty new. Like, Jasmine and Belle were pretty much the only ones who had done it up until this point. And Odette is really given the opportunity to spell out her beliefs on love, saying, I need to know that he loves me for just being me. And, like, that's the thing that's even even crazier. Is that it's that she's not even saying that she doesn't love him. Yeah. She does. She does. But she's like, I'm willing to give up on that yes. if I don't know for sure if, yeah. that he loves me. Absolutely. And this is a huge change to the source material and to fairy tales in general. Whoever came up with this, which there's no basis for it in the ballet at all, give them an award, okay? I remember that moment really, really impacting me as a young girl. It is really important to see our princesses have agency. And best of all, I love that Odette is allowed to leave and turn Derek down. Despite years of setup and the desperate need of her older father for a marriage and probably an heir, she is allowed to make her own decision about who she marries. Hell yes to that. Yes to consent and her being taken at her word and at her opinion. That's prime. Mm -hmm. That is really good stuff. I also just think that this is a really great family-friendly adaptation of the ballet. It makes key changes that keep everything important intact, but we get a happy ending that also doesn't feel too, too easily won either. We get the added touches of agency for Odette, and we've simplified some of the details from the ballet that weren't really needed, like Odette being part of a whole flock of enchanted swans, 
yeah. Odile being Rothbard's daughter. Yeah, and then there's like the sorceress, and like Rothbard is kind of like not the sorcerer person, where like there's a woman, like or like a stepmother. Yeah, there's a lot of different versions of the ballet, yes, and one in which Odette's stepmother is kind of the one who's against her. It's there's a lot of different but like versions. Rothbard's we, like a guardian. It's, it's it's yeah, it's confusing. They did they're like just make it all one bad guy, and I'm like, yes, I love that you. they paired it down beautifully. And honestly, the romance in this feels even stronger than the one in the ballet. Uh, this movie also has another one of my favorite things, rules pertaining to the magic. Odette's oh, yeah. spell has very specific parameters, a very specific way it must be broken. And that's been expanded a bit and given more detail than it had in the ballet. And even though this has become so much more family friendly and simplified, this film really, it really struck me this time. Has drama for days. Yeah. Um, Howard McGillan in particular really slays that. Like his cries of anguish in this, he's not holding back. Other high drama moments that really stick out to me. We have Derek looking Rothbard in the eyes with wind just like blowing in his face, growling, you have no power here. Odette literally almost being shot by the person she loves and needing to run slash fly away from him. Odette transforming in front of Derek for the first time and him running into the lake and sweeping her into his arms and kissing her. But let's talk about that transformation because the drama of that is like... She's about to die. She doesn't know how long it's going to take for her to change and he might kill her before. I'm like... He might kill her first. Oh my God. Good. And then the clouds get in the way of the moon. Oh, there are so many times there are nail-biting moments in this. Odette screaming... No, when Derek mistakenly gives his vow Derek! to the imposter, like, oh, no! yes, like, whoa, yes. Honestly, I made every- the vow for her. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Honestly, every time Odette transforms, easily one of the best transformations in an animated film ever. Absolutely. Derek telling Odette why he loves her as she lays dying. I love you. Your kindness and courage. I always have. <laughs> Also, I totally forgot that King William dies. He's Uh, murdered. And the way that the rain falling on him mixes with his tears as he dies, it's very sad. Like, Mm -hmm. Odette sees her father killed in front of her. She gets abducted by the murderer and put under a very horrific spell, all in a matter of moments, probably believing that no one will ever find her. Like, hello? The stakes are real in this one, people, and I love it. But I think what I love the most about the story is that it's really just one about the way that love endures and conquers. That comes up as a theme in obviously many Disney films, but it's often mixed in with other themes. And I really love that the focus here is just love. Yeah. We end on Derek telling Odette that he will love her much longer than the length of her life. It's really beautiful. Ah. So good. Everything that you said just resonates with me. A fairy tale like this is just sort of like made for an animation medium. It's just, yeah, it's just perfect. And what I really appreciate about this is it doesn't really shy away from the darkness that's in the story. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. they make it family friendly, but it's not trying to like sugarcoat Mm -hmm. everything. And in some ways, they make some elements scarier. Like, the great animal is oh yeah very it's scary and it is not mm-hmm. in the ballet like he transforms yeah. into an owl 
not yes. uh, oh, a wolf bat thing. <laughs> also, like, Odette is dead from her grief, which is yeah. true to the story of the ballet. And it stems from Derek's romantic idealism, which harkens back to the origins of the fairy tale, is that the prince is just mm-hmm. so enamored by the idea of love that he doesn't really see the the person of it, which we're mm-hmm. keeping all of these traits for Derek, but yeah. giving him a little bit more complexity. I just, there is a darkness to this story. And I think that's one of the things that, is part of why it endures and why mm-hmm. married with like Tchaikovsky's music, the ballet is just such an iconic ballet, oh, even after yeah. it was considered a flop when it so was funny, right? Created. But it's the darkness that we love and that we want to see. It's part of the reasons why like Black Swan was such a success. It's like mm-hmm. it embraced the darkness of the story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. And I appreciate that we even in an animated version, we're not trying to be like, Oh, but she wants to be a swan or like anything. It's like, no, <laughs> right? this is like, she oh, this is not. It. She cries she like every time she turns back into a swan. It's so sad. It's yeah. like upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if she's not on the lake and the moon doesn't touch her wings, then she doesn't get to transform into a human. But no matter where she is, if she's a human, she's going to transform back to a swan when, just when the moon leaves the lake. Mm-hmm. Like it, it could still be nighttime, but if the moon ain't on yeah. the lake, she's what an done. addition! Oh, the stakes, oh. the stakes. So when it comes to things that are going right with the characters, I think there's a lot that's going right. One of the major things is so tied up in story, which is what I just talked about, which is Odette's agency and her like discernment and her not just blindly, you know, following her heart. I love all of that. I'm also just going to totally like give myself away here. Like this movie was clearly a part of my awakening as a kid. Honestly, damn, like even now, Derek and Odette, they are hot together. They're just hot. The way that Derek wraps his hand around the back of Odette's head when he kisses her, like fully set my expectations for how kisses were supposed to go. Like when I was a child. So there's that. This is a really great couple. Like I said, there's history and there's love there. And even though they're they're flawed, Derek more so, obviously, they're always redeemable. It's also more fun and interesting that Derek starts out very shallow. We get to see him evolve from this honestly super petulant dude to a real sincere, brave hero who does not give up on the person that he loves. We love a journey. And honestly, so many princes don't really get one like that. A lot of them just start out as like kind of an ideal and they kind of just live there. And a lot of them don't, even if we see growth in them, they don't really get the opportunity to start off being honestly unlikable. Yeah. And not romantic. And that gets a lot of points in my book. I think that's a really interesting choice. So again, I could talk on and on about these characters, but to me... Their relationship and Derek's journey is the big standout as far as characters. I talked a little bit about this under story, but Rothbart, I just think he's a great conceit for a villain. Mm-hmm. And he Agree. can be genuinely terrifying. Yes, yes. Like we've we've streamlined that bad guy sorceress thing into just Rothbart given him this incredibly menacing transformation, mm-hmm. which it just works menacing. really well. And I know. <laughs> And the one thing, I'm kind of going to talk about this when we talk a little bit about negatives. Because it's a fine line. I do like some of the comedic moments that happen out of Rothbard. I have things to say about that as well. Mm -hmm. 
But I almost wish that the comedy was a little bit, the comedy should make us scared of him, if that makes sense. I'm so with you. I have things to say about this, absolutely. But I like the direction that they're going with some of the comedy. There are moments where it's the kind of comedy I like, where he's keeping it light, and then he misdirects her, and he's like, oh, by the way, whose fucking bow is this? That moment is a 10 out of 10. He's like, you just lied to my face. Yes. I, I that's the part with Rothbart that I really, really like where he's like, I'm going to play a game with you. Absolutely. And then I'm going to call you out on lying to my face. I love that aspect of. Yep. Character. I agree with you so much. I also and this is just a bullshit thing, but I just think Bridget is one of the funniest fucking characters <laughs> probably in like animation history to me. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with the fact that this character is also Mila Kunis in Black Swan. Like, they are the same character. <laughs> yeah. But why is she allowed to, like, carry Odette's train at the wedding? She should be banished. What the because hell? She's, <laughs> she doesn't know. Like, that's the thing. She doesn't... She is so dim. She, she doesn't she's know just what's like, going on. She doesn't know what's going on. She's just like, someone told me to do this thing, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> she's just a delightful <laughs> character to me. <laughs> More so than I think a lot of the animal sidekicks. Oh, I agree with you. I just, I find so much comedy in in Bridget and give me a series of shorts starring Bridget. (laughs) Oh my God. Into the music. I mean, far longer than forever. Let me give this, I've been waiting to give this song its moment for my whole life, maybe. (laughs) It's... It's just stunning. The lyrics are romantic. The song has a gorgeous build. And in my opinion, it's one of the best songs to come out of an animated film, period. I agree. It perfectly sums up the theme of this film, and it's just simply a swoon. I could not love it more. And it's also used brilliantly in the underscoring throughout the film. Yes. The orchestra plays it at the ball. When things aren't going well, we hear it played sadly on the piano. Very Mencken. This really has, this is where just like the story and the music just work so beautifully together. This movie has a love theme. And you can't say that about a lot of other animated movies. It's just, this song is kind of perfect. I. It's kind of perfect. I agree. It's like the heartbeat of the whole film. In the way that like some of the like beauty and the beast the like home sort of motif is like the mm-hmm. heartbeat of that along with the dun 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 like that's like yes. the heartbeat of that film yes the do 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 that is the heartbeat of this whole film yeah. like and honestly though it's so good interestingly there are other parts of the score that are also really good. The one that comes to mind is the music that plays whenever Odette transforms. It is seared into my memory. Perfect. That is a moment where music and animation match perfectly. That piece of scoring is, it tells you every, it. ah, it's so good. It's like it's a so ballet. Good. You can hear is. what is happening. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And again, there's a lot of, there's a song here, there's a song in this movie that I've put into the weaknesses category and we'll explain that I actually really enjoy, but I'm going to put it into weaknesses. So another one that I want to talk about as far as strengths is this is my idea. I think it's really well done. It's catchy and memorable, and it does a really fantastic job of capturing Odette and Derek's initial dislike of one another. 
It has a clear purpose, which is to shoot us ahead in time relatively quickly and to give us a nice evolution of our two lovers. It's a, it's a solid, like, do you want to build a snowman? Absolutely agree. And the way that it slows down as the two finally fall in love and we get to hear their inner thoughts, that's good stuff. That's just mm-hmm. good creative stuff. So again, there's a lot of other good things. There's good things happening in the music. I'll talk about some more of it in the weaknesses. And then there's some that I kind of, there's some songs in this that I haven't really touched on, like uh, practice. Eh, it doesn't sit in a strength or a weakness for me. It kind of is there. Practice, so those are this practice, practice. Um, so it's, yeah. Is it a, is it a strength? No, but I like it. It's good. It doesn't, we don't need to elaborate on it, it though. It will work for the stage musical. Um, yeah, no, music, uh, this, the score is beautiful. <sighs> you hit the nail on the head with the transformation, the far longer than forever motif, the transition up the waterfall to the oh lake for the God. first time oh. is just stunning. And I, I have to say, to adapt Swan Lake, which is so synonymous with the Tchaikovsky mm-hmm. Ballet, and dare to create a new musical theme Very to carry true. us through, that theme has got to be great. And I would say far longer than forever, that motif is one of the best animated fantasy motifs Absolutely. of all time. Absolutely. I would put it right up there Absolutely. with... Tale yep, of Zola's Time, you. Beauty and the Beast. Me too. Me too. Up there with Part of Your World. Whole New it World. Is put just it up there. Yep. Mm. Journey to the Past. Like, it is it yes. is one of those. And now to the design. So, <laughs> my first note, it's so superficial, but I was just struck by this. Is it about Odette's dress? It's just Odette in general. <laughs> I think I might be in so love with her. So <laughs> predictable. She, she's beautiful. I don't want to reduce a princess to her to her looks, which is exactly what Odette hates. But I'm like, well, girl, you're hot. Like, what can I say? You're beautiful. <laughs> the hair. The hair. And that dress. Her iconic outfit can definitely stand up against the best Disney princess dresses. The colors are just so perfect. The white and whatever that green like is. Teal? I don't emeraldy. I don't even know what that. It's not emerald. It's like foresty. I don't know. Yeah. And then it's colored by the darkness. So like we get to see the way light bounces off of it. So it shades it more mm-hmm. blue and then shades it more true green. And yes. It's, oh, it's very interesting. Yes. And it and it doesn't feel like it's copying any other princess dress that already exists in animation it has nice nods to historical accuracy as well with the puff sleeves and the drop um little tie around her waist as well which is a very medieval touch it just feels like this is just what i want her to look like Uh, i i cannot when she's in the sequences again where we will talk about this later when she's like animated in detail and we get a nice close-up of her she's just so beautifully done and in general, the costumes on these characters are lovely. They feel like wonderful fits for Odette and Derek especially. And there are just some really lovely details. Like we see that Derek is a huge fan of over-the-knee boots in every outfit. He's got, he's got different ones. The little, like, the clasp that holds his cape during the ball. Even down to the queen's changing hairstyles. The queen's hairstyle looks like a swan at one point. And then we have Odette's swan-inspired wedding gown. Just really great detail. These outfits are amazing. And some moments in the animation, it can be uneven, which we will talk about in a bit. Some of them are straight up breathtaking. Some of them include 
Derek's castle, the night of the ball, it is gorgeously lit. It's floating above the clouds in some shots. There are candlelit boats floating on the water toward it. It's like that Cinderella shot Castle shit. On steroids. The lake shining at the end of the film after the oh, wedding. Yeah. Generally, water and the sun and sky are done beautifully in this. Derek running through the shafts of sunlight in the forest when he is hunting. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh and you my see the God. little specks that of dust. Alone. Oh my oh. God. Oh, like brilliant. So beautiful. And as you mentioned earlier, the whirlpool transformation every time Odette transforms is stunning. And again, another thing that is just burned into my memory from being a kid. It's beautifully done. So there's a lot of just really like, it just again, a lo- the things that are going right with the design. This whole film is so cohesive. It's about love and it's lush and the score is lush and these settings are lush and the costumes are lush. It's the right. Yeah. Thematically, we're on the it's right like place. timeless fantasy. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The animation of magic specifically in this mm. film, I think is sophisticated. It is interesting and it rivals some of the Disney portrayals of magic as well. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded a lot of the animation for magic in The Black Cauldron, which makes sense. Haha, right. Because of how it uses light. Like, even thinking about, I mean, number one, the, like, glowing pool that starts the swan Mm -hmm. transformation. And then the water that slowly, like, swirls up around her. And then, like, the (sighs) fireworks sort of thing that happen. And then it pops and then she's the swan. There's that, but also when she as the swan is flying through the forest and the shafts of light (gasps) reflect off of something that's magical in a different way. Yes. It's so interesting. Yes. So sparkly. Yes. I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. But also that sort of goes into the way the great animal design is. It's just, it's so good. That shit is genuinely terrifying. Mm -hmm. And unlike monsters that we have really seen in other films like it is yeah it is just something very new and Mm -hmm. i love that we get to see the arrow impact and the magic explosion for Mm -hmm. his death like it's not just we're gonna let him die off screen or like fall down and just sort of like use our imaginations like no we're gonna get like a maleficent dragon like yeah very true and then I completely agree with you. The way water specifically is animated in this film oh. is gorgeous. I look forward to every waterfall and ripple because <laughs> it is just exquisite. And I love a water feature. So my expectations yeah. for water animation yes. is very high. It's true. And I think part of it is because of seeing this film as a kid. That makes a lot of sense. It set my expectations very, very high for water. I mean, yeah. I just think of the main title sequence. The design of the main titles is uh, so good because yeah. it's just the black with the blue lettering. But then we just get the theme on the simple piano, the dun, 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 oh. dun, dun. And it's just like, it's giving us gravity. And then they yeah. show us the transformation the first time into the Swan Princess logo. where they're just like, let us hit you with the animation that we're going to be doing in this film. Like, let's give you a sample of some of our best animation Mm -hmm. within the first 30 seconds of the film, which is so smart Mm -hmm. to do as like an emerging studio. Yeah, show us, Show us what you're capable of right out of the bat. And they do it. And it's, it hooks you. It really does. All right. Weaknesses, right? Let's do weaknesses. Yeah. 
weaknesses. So interestingly, I'm looking through and mine kind of lie mostly in character and there's a lot of character story intersection. So what I categorize as just story, it's very few things, honestly, that I feel are weaknesses. It's just tiny, ridiculous little things that nag me. They're really two things. One of them is that Queen Uberta does not seem to care for one second that King William has been murdered. Like, this is someone no. she has known forever. He was kind of the hope for her kingdom's future in a way. And he's murdered. And, like, only Derek seems to really care. Everybody else kind of moves on. And it's struck To the point I, where she doesn't even really recognize the Odette lookalike when she walks in. She's yeah. like... Who is she, that? She, she forgot all and, like, about she's them. she's been at your house every summer. <laughs> yeah, and she's not the most, like, likable character. So at the end of the day, I, I guess it's fine. But but I do think me. Sandy Duncan's voice performance is so good. It's fantastic. It is perfectly, like, a little bit annoying. Just the right amount of annoying. And then the other thing that is that Odette's mother is just unseen and unnamed. <laughs> Thank you. I have the exact same thing. I'm like, I like, just need to bring up how the fact com- the the film completely erases that a what? woman would give birth yeah, to Odette. Literally, it's it like, says like her father wanted a baby and he got one. And then he got huh? one. And I'm like, did he steal it? Did the mom die? Yeah. What so happened? like, I think we we I think we needed to address that because then it's like it really matters that Odette like had to go through the pain of losing a mother. And a father. That's a lot. Yeah. But we just don't acknowledge her mother's existence. Like, they never said, no. the queen gave birth to a daughter or the queen passed away. Nothing. <laughs> just yeah. Nothing. I, I don't know. Because then it almost feels like, because there's no acknowledgement of the queen, who I'm assuming it was the queen and not like, you know, one of his mistresses. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, could I, be. He could have just stolen this child. It's like, an heir. <laughs> then, they don't look alike. <laughs> Very true. Then there isn't really a model of like a queen for Odette to model herself after too. So I don't know. The absence of that really bothered me for the development of her character, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. I'm kind of wondering if they're like, we don't want to kill the mother because that's such a Disney thing to do. And we're going to kill the dad soon too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I have the same thing. And then also like with story... I just sort of did a generic thing. In general, there are a lot of plot points, scenes, and even artistic (laughs) similarities to Disney's adaptation of Sleeping Beauty Mm. without some of the attention to detail that those scenes had. So, Mm. yeah, that's just sort of like my generic wash over all of that, that I would say. Yeah, feel that. So then let's talk about the characters then. Let's get a little bit more specific. So, okay. So Odette, there are so many things that I love about her, but I do feel like she loses a little bit of her edge as this film develops. We see her as this feisty and rebellious young girl, and then she really shows Derek what's what when he thinks he can just marry her without really knowing her. Now listen, her father is killed in front of her, and she's trapped by an evil, repulsive man who keeps proposing to her. So I don't blame her for suddenly believing in love with Derek, someone that she's known her whole life, who she Rearranging knows has Rearranging her feelings. priorities. Yeah, who has feelings for her. He can possibly save her. And she felt something for him, too, before he made a total ass of himself. But it feels like she loses a little bit of her conviction. I Although agree. she continues to turn Rothbart down, at one point, she tells him he can just take the kingdom without marrying her if he really wants to. And that felt disappointing to me. Again, this ties a little bit into like- Because then later she's like, you'll never take my right. father's kingdom. Right, I'm like, kingdom. make and up like, your mind. But you, but you yeah. said that he could have it. 
we don't really know. And I think this ties a little bit into like, we don't know her mother. Like, I don't really know what she feels about the kingdom. Like, does she just not want to be under this spell anymore? Or does she not want him to have the kingdom? Doesn't she want to fight for a kingdom that I'm assuming is now hers? She has been beaten down and been through a lot and she does keep trying, but I wish that she had maintained some of the smart rebel that we met at the beginning of the film. Agreed. And overall, it's strange for me that I have Rothbart in the weakness category. I agree with you putting him in the strengths. I think he's a really great villain. He has really strong origins in the ballet to draw from. He's this interesting sorcerer of character and we get so close to really really nailing him in this, that it makes the small things that don't work feel more disappointing to me. His motivation is clear. He wants the kingdom. He also proves, as you mentioned, Connor, I love the same thing. He is not an easy villain to trick. Like when Odette tries to pretend that Derek wasn't with her at the lake, he lets her believe for a moment that she's fooled him. That part is chilling, as is his ability to create full visual illusions. So he's really powerful. But his sense of humor and feelings about his own villainy are a little bit confusing and not specific enough for me. His song, No More Mr. Nice Guy, (sighs) is the perfect example of this. It's just not good. Yeah. This song tries to make him a little bit Radigan-esque. Like, I enjoy, like, the style and the trickery of being bad. He sings, up to no good, I love plotting because I'm so good when I'm rotten. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Wait and see. So we give this to a villain who's been doing awful things the whole film? It also totally undercuts the truly scary villain that he is. He can shapeshift into terrifying creatures, and he does not hesitate to murder. He's really evil. And this song doesn't match that or really accomplish anything as far as deepening Rothbard at all. I'll talk more about the song in a moment in the music category, but... This is what you were talking about before, and I totally agree with you. His humor. Rothbart does display moments of dry humor that really feel right for someone as evil as him. Like, he wryly says he has a, quote, head full of pudding as he imprisons Odette. Mean humor like that is the right way to go for him. Very scar. Yes, exactly. But we don't get a lot of it, and it's undercut by the bizarre silliness of the song it just they're trying to make him too many things at once and it and it just it sucks some of the amazingness out of him and we got so close you know your assessment of his similarity to radigan i think is so good but the way that radigan works is he starts in this silly place and then we see him drop that facade when he becomes truly terrifying at yeah. the end. But because we already know that Rothbart is terrifying from the get-go, where he doesn't really say all of that much, but the things that he does, mm-hmm. he's like actually scary. Awful. Then we're undercutting all of his power Absolutely. in these moments where we give him to... Even when he's just like calling King William Willie and like things like that. It's yeah. just like... It's he undercutting totally, his power. Yeah, he could totally have gotten a In the Dark of the Night style song, and it totally Absolutely. would have slapped it would have for worked. him. It would have and worked. Like, he could have just taken it seriously. Yeah, and I just don't I just don't get it in general, because when was he ever Mr. Nice Guy? <laughs> yeah, no. And it, like Just like the image of him in the road yes. before the attack, it's just hard. It's just scary. It's, it's yeah. so good. And then yeah. to be like, that guy is going to be doing 
no more Mr. Nice Guy, yeah. like less than an hour later. I'm like, yeah, no. I don't buy that. No. And we got so close. He's so close to being like really, really He's amazing. so close to being perfect. Yeah. Like so close yeah. to being a really just like timeless villain. Yep. I agree with you. Yeah. And then my other just small thing about characters. These movies need animal sidekicks. I totally get it. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with Speed, John, Bob, and Puffin. They're all funny and or likable. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh, but I'm so into the main plot that their antics can be a little bit frustrating, a little too silly, can go on a little bit too long. Just for me. But I know we Agreed. have to have them. So what can you do? Yeah. Speaking of that, it just feels to me like we have a couple more supporting characters in this story than we actually need. Mm-hmm. Like, for some reason, I'm not convinced that we need Rogers and Brom and Sir Chamberlain. Yeah, and I can't John remember Bob everybody's names. And Speed and yeah. Puffin. Like, I feel like we could have streamlined at least Rogers and Brom into the mm-hmm. same character or even Sir Chamberlain and Rogers. Yeah. I think we just could benefit from a little bit more dimension to some of these supporting characters that would help us care about them a bit more so that they, if they are going to be mm-hmm. on screen, we're at least invested in their story and it doesn't feel like it's going on forever. Like, I don't think there's really anything about Brom that's interesting to me. And his relationship mm-hmm. with Rogers is actually very similar to Jean-Bob's relationship to Speed. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that relationship is already there in this film. So yeah. it just feels like it's we're duplicating it unnecessarily. And then I just want a tiny bit more characterization of Odette and Derek in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with your assessment of Odette. Like, she loses some of her agency. I, I would have liked a couple more scenes maybe with with Derek talking about his interests, like, things that he's passionate about. Also talking about mm. being able to more adequately articulate the things that he likes about Odette in that scene with Rogers, mm-hmm. where he's like, I just, I couldn't come up with the words, but he's like, but it isn't just yeah. her looks. I just wanted, I don't know, I feel like we could have worked that scene mm-hmm. out a little bit more. But most of all, I, and this is kind of, this is kind of in story, I guess, too, but I would have loved one more summer of the two of them. Mm. Where they are starting to fall in love with each other so that the final summer where, like, it's the wedding kind of moment that we've seen the turn before, right before it's the wedding. I I just Mm -hmm. keep thinking, like, if we could have had them as, like, slight teenagers, like a teenage, like, budding romance starting to happen as opposed to it's leaving with her chucking a tomato at his face and then they come back next summer and they're like, I'm in love with you the first time I see you again. I kind of like the drama of that. I know you do. I want us to to be on both of their sides and I think that if we had one more summer, we could have been. Where it's like, no, no, we were so close and then it just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that. As opposed to be like, yo, dad, get out of there. (laughs) Get out! Okay, music. I've touched on it a little. I'll start with No More Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, besides it not working for the character for me, I am... <laughs> I just really... Besides it not working. <laughs> I am not against homages to different musical styles within animated films, as long as we either touch on a bunch of different ones or there's a specific reason for choosing a style, like Gospel and Hercules. This, I don't know, 40s-esque number, just it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I guess it 
could be anything since it's really Rothbart's daydream. But as I mentioned earlier, it really sucks the stakes out of that moment for me. And some of the lyrics are just downright odd. So much for politically correct. What? (sighs) I, I, I don't understand. Then, no fear. Don't get it twisted. (laughs) This song is weirdly a bop, but I don't know. It feels like it goes on for a little bit too long. And I'm not sure if the moment of stealing the map from Rothbart warrants a full song. Like, I know the sidekicks needed a song, but we're off on a mission. We're in good condition. It's weird. It's weird. And I it's got I like could, a good beat to it. It, like, it has a beat. Honestly, That's what I'm saying. It's if someone re- If someone remixed that into like a house remix, <laughs> that would actually be baller. Absolutely. That's what I'm so curious. I wish I could erase my memories of this movie because if I heard this for the first time now, I wonder what my reaction would be. But I, I liked it as a kid. So I don't know. And then this one pains me. Princesses on Parade. I knew it Let was me start coming. by saying this. I really like this song. I like it. (laughs) It's fun and it's catchy and memorable. I like the vocals. I just feel like it again, it strikes a bit of an odd tone in comparison to the medieval world that we're in. It's sort of like a 40s show tune, like very Ziegfeld Follies. I kind of love it, but I can see the argument for it being a little bizarre. It is bizarre. And if we made a stage musical out of this... I could see the song probably getting rewritten in some way or, or restyled, but it's I, fun. But I agree. Does, I think weird. the opening would be still in the stage musical. The like, dun, 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 like that is going to stay still in the so musical. It's so weird though. It's like 1940s Broadway. What? <laughs> I think I think they but were I trying to do the like, I love it. different musical stylings like Broadway. Yeah, but the they just Little only Mermaid hit one. It. But Little Mermaid, everything was cohesive. And yeah, where right. it's like we are exploring a bunch of different musical styles, but they all work because there's something yeah. that's truthful in all of them. Where yeah. it's like, oh no, we're just going to change up the musical style to change up the yeah. musical style, <laughs> yeah. and that's just like not working. During the rescue sequence, towards the end of the film. We get another bizarre tone in an underscore that feels way too modern and, again, almost jazzy. It has this weird percussion beat, and it just made the stakes just, like, (laughs) fall out of the moment. It was so odd. And there's that. And I think the point that you made earlier is spot on. Like, if you're not going to use any of the music from the ballet, like, you better make it good. And I think they really did. But I don't know. I love the music from Swan Lake. This is what I'm saying. Okay, while I do think that the score is one of the best parts of this film, I think they could have absolutely benefited from what Disney did with Sleeping Beauty, where it was a combination of original material and the Tchaikovsky ballet. Mm. This score would have blended perfectly with the Tchaikovsky ballet. I thought we could have incorporated some, even if we're not... But, like, even if we're not including that... Like the most mm, iconic part where we're like, yeah. we're gonna do, we're gonna do far longer than forever. But I don't know to to do the like uh, the dance of the black swan. Yeah, yeah. Like, what if that was what they danced to? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I hesitated to say it because I just love far longer than forever being so featured that I'm like, you know I what? It's too. fine. But I, I love still the ballad. I love it because once upon a dream 
is an original piece mm. for Sleeping Beauty that blends perfectly as the central it motif, does. including Tchaikovsky's music, far longer than forever could easily be the once mm. upon a dream of this movie with Tchaikovsky's mm. music filling in as well. Yeah. It could have worked. Yeah. We could have done it. Yeah. Let's do design. Here we go. We're wrapping it up. So, okay. <sighs> the quality of the animation suffers at times during this film. So, side note, Swan Princess had $32 million less to work with than Anastasia. And like, wow, that's a huge difference. <laughs> yeah. they, and they did a lot with And they did what a they lot. There are the, the parts that stick out to me are there are shots with characters further from view and far away where they are clearly animated as simply as possible to the point where they kind of look distorted. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not great. Like we'll have a far away shot of Odette not really looking like Odette and as a huge relief we're at a close up on her face and the detail is there and she's looking beautiful and you're like whew thank god <laughs> or those it's princesses very, coming down the stairs and princesses yeah. on parade with the same face yeah they all, they the all have the same face and and so probably for this same reason we get some mixed styles that feel inconsistent as well like I mentioned earlier, Derek hunting in the shafts of sun in the forest sticks out to me as a beautifully animated, like, luxury sequence. And then during the finale, we get this bizarre zoom out from Derek and Odette on the bridge. And they look like this this almost, like, unanimated cutout, paper cutout. Yeah. It is weird. It's noticeable. And I just wish they had more money to work with because I think that's the only issue. Compared to what Disney is putting out at this time mm-hmm. and what Fox is cooking up with Anastasia, right. while much of the overall design I think is beautiful, the world yeah. is far less detailed and realized. Yeah. It employs some of those older Disney tricks with crowds of people that are frozen, <laughs> expressionless, <laughs> desaturated in the backgrounds. Things that we would see with the the sort of like Xeroxy yeah. films like Great Mouse Detective, things like that, right. where like the background is like as simple as possible. I mean, some animations I don't think are even true animations. Like, we'll just cut from a lovely painting at night to a lovely painting at day and just, like, call that a transition. (laughs) And the sun isn't, like, even... The sun and the moon aren't even in the same place to, like, help us sell the transition. (laughs) It's just, like, little things where I'm, like, just going a little bit of an extra mile for the attention to detail could have taken us there, but it doesn't. And then, I mean, there are other things where it almost feels like there are sequences that are missing some frames. So the animation is like a little jerky. Like there's this moment where Odette is like flying off to go get Derek uh, and like Mm -hmm. lure him back to the lake. And there are fully moments and it happens very fast. So if you blink, you wouldn't notice it. But like the animation is like not fully complete and it almost feels like a DVD skipping where it's just like, "Eh, eh, eh, eh." it's very fast, but I'm like, Oh, they were trying to, <laughs> they were dealing, they were dealing with like trying to create depth and distance while also wings moving up and down. <laughs> and I think it just got really hard and they were just like, fuck it, let's just get it over. Give with. them more money. I know. Let them fix I know. it. I know. All right. Let's talk about the overall film for Anastasia. Yeah. So I just, I just have like a couple things because I mean, Listen, Anastasia is really fucking good. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. it's just really good. It is. It is. It, it is. Let's start with story. Okay, so it's it's mm-hmm. really something different for yeah. the time that this film is being introduced. Something 
animated that's rooted in history, but recent history. So not like Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. It's a romance and an adventure and a story of self-discovery, but also the supernatural and the psychological. It just Mm -hmm. really has something for everybody. And it's a film where the protagonist searches for family, finds out that she's a princess in the process, and then in the end chooses a family. Hmm. Like, Anastasia's endgame isn't her becoming a princess, but rather being able to just fully make a choice on a path forward, knowing what her past is. Her story, like, continues beyond just reuniting with her grandmother. She makes the decision to abdicate the throne, elope, and see the world. (laughs) So it, it feels almost like a reaction to... Disney princess films and showing that there's something else that we can do. So I think that that's very interesting. And I'm going to talk about this later sort of in how it's so strange to me that Anastasia is on Disney plus because Mm -hmm. it feels like it is such a conscious effort to show something different from Disney. And that like, that's sort of just like part of its identity. Mm Mm-hmm. Another story thing, because I mean, I'm just not going to go into the nitty gritty details because it's just like, it's just all good. But Mm -hmm. I love the three attacks from Rasputin because we have a physical one. It's albeit like a remote attack with the train, a psychological Mm -hmm. attack, and then finally a corporeal attack with full magic. Mm -hmm. Like we just have the, Mm -hmm. he's trying all these different ways to get at her. And I really like that. I mean, we got a rule of three happening here, but we're varying it. So he's not coming at it the same way, which I'm like, that is the sign of a good villain going a little bit into character that he's, he's not just trying to do the same thing over and over again and just like failing Mm -hmm. at it. And I just think that the way that this true story is adapted to be handleable by kids while also keeping the tragedy intact is very smart. It's like, if you presented this to me, I'd be like, oh, like these people were killed by a firing squad. Like, how do we tell that story? So having Rasputin's magic be the reason that the people turn against the Romanovs is a smart solution to summarizing Russian politics and, of course, removing the firing squad scenario. Yeah. And then having Anya and the Dowager escape gives us the Anya Dimitri history, which, once again, we know I love. We love that. And we love it. And an explanation for not only how Anya could have survived, but why she cannot remember who she is. She falls and she hits her head on a train track hard. So all around, I think the dark subject matter is handled well. And I just like that this film doesn't shy away from historical details, like exit visas. And it even slips in some historical jokes, like Vlad saying everything's in red. This film gets comfortable being mature, and I really love that. And this is more design, but like even... You know, Perry holds the key alone is filled with so many historical Easter eggs and famous people walking by like Josephine Baker, just like really leaning into that sophistication is just so much fun. Yeah. Coming out of Chanel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then also we'll talk about in design, but like the use of impressionist painters, like stylings in the backgrounds for that scene is just like perfect. But moving on to like characters, unlike where we sort of were with Swan Princess, I actually don't think that we have any, like, unnecessary supporting characters in this. I agree. And there are 
a few here too, but they're all really good. They they're all really good. They're all they all feel very very fully realized, even if they're not in yeah. it for very much. But like mm-hmm. for example, Sophie. Sophie, Sophie. feels like a uh, very very clear character, so even memorable. though we don't see that much of her. Yeah, it feels like she exists before that we see her in this film, and she will exist afterwards. And like mm-hmm. the voice performances across the board. Oh are just, my like, god, absolutely notch. Absolutely from like Hank Azaria as Bartok. It was just yes. Like, so charming. You can't beat this voice cast. It's so good. It's so you good. You really can't. But then also just like the complexity of Grandma the Dowager. It's it's just yeah. beautifully realized. The mm-hmm. the the pain, the changing her mind, the mm-hmm. all of these these things in, in her, which are hard to do in an animated film. Absolutely and especially true. hard to do in a voice performance. Like they're all coming across. Mm-hmm. But I also think. So this film is more of like a character study Mm -hmm. than most animated films typically are. And so as such, we get a really fleshed out character in Anastasia. We see her highs. We see her lows. The things that we fall in love with. The flaws of her as well. Mm -hmm. I think one of the strongest things they did was take so much of Meg Ryan and put that into the character. I mean, down to... She was ambivalent about joining this project. Mm. And to convince her, they took an audio clip of her in Sleepless in Seattle and animated a scene to show her. And she was shocked at what they were able to do, let alone that they would do that. So Mm. she was like, absolutely. But I I just think that she is such a good choice for the character Mm -hmm. because it's so different. Like, it almost feels kind of like what they were doing with Demi Moore in Esmeralda. Mm-hmm. Like finding someone very, very modern, someone well known, yeah, but well known from that like rom com, mm-hmm. uh, someone who can c- deliver drama and comedy and just like a lot of heart. I think that they there was a lot of life that was breathed into the character through her, and there's just such spontaneity in these yes! voice performances yes! just across yes! the board, but especially between Meg Ryan and John Cusack. I just mm-hmm. think they got the casting really right. John Cusack was always who they had in mind for mm, Dimitri. Perfect. And originally they were they were recording them both separately and they weren't getting like the performance. And then they put Meg and John in the room together to record one scene and it just completely oh changed God. the energy. And like that's the part of that that really makes it feel like that rom-com is yes. because of the 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 like lightning fast pace that you can mm-hmm. only get with the two of them in the room. Like you can tell that they were recording together. Yeah, so true. And it just it helps it so much because it is just so real. The pacing of these characters is very very different from the pacing that we get in Disney. Very. Yeah. Oh, so true. Well, you just explained what I like. The one thing I highlighted about Anastasia is yeah, it's so I think it's so pulled from Meg Ryan. Because Anya just feels so like clear and specific from the jump. Like she feels like a real person. She has a specific way of speaking and moving that is so her. Seriously, like this is a little bit designed, but big shout out to the animators because her physicality is really unique. Like, yeah, I don't know. Just even little things like when she's nervous, the way she plays with her fingers. It's just plays with really the fingers, plays with the chain, plays with the chain. Like- even yeah. just like our first moment of meeting Anya, not Anastasia, yeah. of like Comrade Flemingkopf is like talking to her, and she's like not even listening. She's like, she's "Bye." Not listening. Yeah, she's like, "Yeah." It's 
so she's good. so she's so specific and I also love that she gets her moment to full out tackle Rasputin to the ground and physically oh, fight him yeah. at the end of the film. We don't really get that with female heroines and male villains a lot. And like, ah, oh, it was such like it was so satisfying to see her. She do like that. lifts up those skirts and she just yeah, she charges. just goes for it. Like yes, but also that that moment of her tackling Rasputin isn't unearned because we are introduced to the feistiness of Anastasia mm-hmm. in the first time that we meet her as a yeah. kid. Yeah. Her interactions with her family. Like yeah. it it's very, very clear that yeah. like, yeah, she's gonna be the one to punch the villain. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she's, that, yeah. she's that girl. I love, that. I love it. Uh moving on to the music. Not a single song in this film misses. <laughs> no, there's no misses in this music. It's truly just 10 out of 10. I don't really have any notes on any of the songs. I don't the <laughs> score is so wonderful. It's grand. It evokes the scale of those Mencken scores, like with Beauty and the Beast, again, Mm -hmm. kind of what Swan Princess is doing. But it also incorporates so many motifs from the songs that were written by somebody else, Mm -hmm. which I think is like a really, really good collaboration between Mm -hmm. Newman and Aaron's and Flaherty. Mm -hmm. I love hearing the at the beginning motif throughout the, (sighs) the movie. But we don't hear that full-blown song until the end. It makes the end credits feel like a well-earned event. Agree. It's what my heart will go on does in Titanic. Yeah, Where it's like, you've heard this motif throughout the whole thing, and now we're going to put lyrics to it I for you to you. go home with it. And I, I fully believe that at the beginning cannot be sung within the context of Yes, I have film. the exact same... It has to be at the end of the end credits. Yeah. And they could have easily gone straight to like a cover of one of the film songs. And instead we we get something that fills, I say, the void of any Anya Dimitri love song. But like you said, I don't think there is one. I think this is the best way for us to get it. They shouldn't sing it. Yeah. This is perfect. They don't need it. I think what's important about Dimitri and Anya Anastasia Mm. not singing together is like that isn't their love language. Yes, that isn't, I agree. That isn't the way that they express agree. their feelings toward each other. We see that happen through dance. Yeah. We see that happen through wit. Like quips and barbs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not through song. Yeah. Something that I noticed that I fell in love with, In the Dark of the Night is such a good villain song. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, man. I was like, wow, the end of this song is so good. And then I was like, Wait. The end of In the Dark of the Night became my favorite song from the stage adaptation. Wait, you Stay didn't I realize that? Had no clue. Oh my Done. God. No, uh, because that was my saving grace in it because yeah. I was so. Yes, thank you. And the fact that that can go from an evil, bombastic thing to this. To like missing my homeland. Oh my God. Incredible like, 10 out of 10. It becomes like a Russian Edelweiss almost in the stage music. Yes! <laughs> and then obviously Perry holds the key, Bernadette Peters' vocals. But I also just love that this is the fun song, the fun company number that we needed that doesn't feel forced. It feels very organic and like yep. just jumps naturally out of It's like, yeah, of course she needs a shopping spree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is exactly the type of, of song that we need a for a shopping, shopping spree. spree. Like, 
honestly, if I, I'm, I'm the basic ass American who like, if I go to France, like this is popping right up when I land and I'm going <laughs> onto the streets. I'm like, dun, 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 lovers. Ooh yes. la la. Oh my God. And then lastly, we'll talk about the strengths of the design. The animation is very sophisticated <laughs> yeah. and very detailed. It easily competes with the work of Disney. The ghosts dancing out of the portraits. Yep, I have that one written of down those as well. Iconic movie moments. That is up yeah. there with Ariel and the wave coming up behind her. That is up with the crane shot mm-hmm. in Beauty and the Beast. It is just something that will never leave you. Mm-hmm. But also thinking of even just a rumor in St. Petersburg, when they're in the like final chorus of that, every single one of those characters is doing full choreography. Choreogra- I have that written down too. The choreography in this movie is insanely like good. it's choreography. It's like, choreography, it is, absolutely. And like that's the sh- that's the shit that Disney does, where it's like yeah. they have they choreograph the number and they model it out, and like yeah. there's a difference between. I'm so glad that. that you talked about this too because I was writing. And I'm like, am I crazy for talking about the choreo in this? But the no, choreo, they're doing choreography, <laughs> and the, and when you think of like all that choreography, they're building the animation for that choreography from scratch. Phew. Yeah. I talked about it before, but the Perry holds the key to your heart using the impressionist painters mm. art styles as the backdrops for that is just like it's so satisfying. I mean, I'm also just a sucker for impressionism. I know. It's like easily like seeing the pointillist moments like where I'm like, oh, we've got some Seurat, we've got some Monet, we've got some Van Gogh. Yes. Like it's all here. But also just like the fashion. Of this film. Listen, I could probably write a whole damn paper (laughs) about Anastasia's opera gown. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Nothing else in animation exists like that. (laughs) How did they get how did they get it to shine and sparkle like the that? Sparkle, how the did they sparkle get the, the how did they get the how did they get the, the tiara to just like yes. shine like a mirror? The in tiaras animation? and necklaces, the jewels, unbelievable. How how did that how does it happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's witchcraft. I think it's witchcraft. This it's this magic. is the shit that they stole from Disney. But <laughs> the character design, while evoking a lot of designs that we're familiar with from Disney animation. It's very much its own. Like, Don Bluth has a very specific style that feels less interested in making someone look perfect, but rather Mm -hmm. interesting. And that includes different shapes of characters. (gasps) Eyes that are of varying differences. Crooked teeth. Cheeks and wrinkles. These characters feel very real. And that helps blend them into these historical characters. It makes it feel really Mm -hmm. rooted in history. And I do think that Disney sort of leaned into this as well with Pocahontas in finding more imperfections in those people to Mm -hmm. make it feel more real. But I think Anastasia does a really remarkable job at making everyone look... Everyone is not perfect. No Mm -hmm. one is perfect. Mm -hmm. Even Anastasia, her eyes are like a little bit too far apart. Yeah. And then I'll also say... The magical elements here are animated so well. Like those little demon things and Mm -hmm. the hellfiery shit. Mm -hmm. It's just perfect. Like every single time he like takes his little reliquary and and he's like, 
Mm-hmm. Come on, demons, get on out. I'm like, Rasputin walked so that Dr. Facilier could run. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. Like, yeah, he he did. that. A lot of I'm Dr. Facilier friends on the other side shit is very, very borrowed mm-hmm. from Rasputin. So, And I find yeah. Rasputin stuff scarier. So claps. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's also just so rooted in like a rotting Death. corpse. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like exactly. maggots, and yeah, the like maggots. his head falls into his rib cage. I like, have a note about his head inside his literal rib cage. Yeah, <laughs> oh, God, it's just <sighs> it's so interesting. It is it's so they, icky in a good way. Bluth and Goldman offer a very very clear perspective as directors for this film. It like it is very, very clear that they have something that they are doing, that they have a way that they see the world, and it translates beautifully in their animation. It's interesting. You sort of touched on this, but not really. So I wonder if this part of it will be in your weaknesses. And I have this feeling it might be. But I was very fascinated by the use of what I guess is more digital animation that gave certain items mm-hmm. and features the look of a practical mm-hmm. item. You didn't like mm-hmm. that. I had a feeling. I liked it. I don't know. It's weird. Don't get me wrong. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, but it fascinated me. The music <laughs> box, Rasputin's vial, the train, the car. But no, no, no. Only the skull part of his of his reliquary. It's only the skull uh, part yeah, of the I know. I, I don't know. You know what I'll say? One yeah. of the cars. You're probably going to... Yeah, exactly. You are correct, but I'll, I just... I couldn't take my eyes off of them, so I'm going to give it that. I, I know. Um, they're, <laughs> they're definitely... Pushing, they're pushing yeah. animation in this it's something to be like, new. how much of this can we use? Yeah. I will give you that. Yeah, you <laughs> I'll talk about, about it later. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Again, you touched on this too. So much sophistication. The settings are all so rich and detailed and multidimensional, and not to mention just historically accurate. I love the way that they do the portraits. The portraits look amazing. The portraits are stunning. And like you said, the faces and the body types, the dowager in particular has this very realistic face. I don't know that I just, there's a lot of the animation that Mm -hmm. I just can't stop looking at. And all of the moments that you touched on, the butterflies that haunt Anya's nightmare, the figures dancing out of the portraits, the figures dancing around Anya's head when she first sees the music box. Oh, yeah. Watching them travel across Europe on a map. The horse statue springing to life. Dimitri looking at Anya dancing through the reflection in his glass of champagne. In his champagne glass. Ah, please. All right. Let's talk about some of the weaker things. Mm-hmm. We'll start with story. So listen. It's historically inaccurate. Like... <laughs> The story of this film is very historically inaccurate. Uh, We're very much in this alternate timeline what-if scenario. But the problem is we're not really making that clear. So it it feels similar to Pocahontas in that respect where it's like romanticizing history. But I think the difference is that the basic conceit of Anastasia is fantasy. Because Anastasia is dead. And while Pocahontas is a dramatization of events in a retelling of Romeo and Juliet, Anastasia is is very much like a step further from that. It's like it's a legend. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's not real. It's not Anastasia mm-hmm. is not alive. The Romanov <laughs> line is gone. 
So while I think the story is really, really solid structurally, I think they spent a lot of time really developing this to make all of it make sense. I don't really think of there's there's much that's superfluous in this. I have to mention that like there are so many people who grew up with this film who thought this is how it went down. <laughs> that is true. And that's true. It's really not like Rasputin was not an evil sorcerer. Like, but one of the weirdest men in history. That man. But is does horrifying. that justify him getting the villain treatment for being? Oh, weird? I'm with it. Every time I see a picture of that man for real, I'm like, villain, villain. No, absolutely. I I don't take it back. Oh my god. For me, if Dmitri knows that he helped save some of the Romanovs, and maybe even knows that it was. Anastasia that he helped, it feels odd to me that he doesn't really care about people pretending to be here. I get it. He's broke. He just needs the money. He's not trying to have an emotional attachment to this. But it does seem odd that his very personal connection to the situation doesn't affect him at all until he realizes that Anya is actually her. It seems like the truth would matter to him just a little bit more because he saw it all happen. That's got to affect you. But Okay. But he was also a servant and he got beat down. He was. So like and he, he yeah, probably be right. like, fuck them. Yeah, I guess so. And then he <laughs> another small thing. He and Vlad live in the abandoned palace. It seems odd to me that that would not have been totally sacked and taken over because we're moving into communism now. There's no way that those things would have been <laughs> left intact. So, so to be I fair, it's also such a huge place that like maybe they just keep moving rooms. <laughs> People don't know. <laughs> maybe. That's all I got. Character-wise, I, I again, I, I don't think that there's really any characters that I, I think are weak in the film or even superfluous. I mean, even down to the way Dimitri and Anya, like, fall in love, it's just very believable. It's very, it's a slow burn. It's very well-earned. And, yeah, I think everybody's got a purpose. Even Bartok has, like, a purpose. We need that, like, animal sidekick comedic relief that we can't yeah. get through Puka because we're keeping it so yeah. real. So yeah. we need this sort of like fantastical element. And Bartok, I think, makes Rasputin a little bit easier for us to swallow because definitely Rasputin, if he didn't have Bartok, I think could be like wholly terrifying. And they probably would have destroyed his character a little bit if Bartok wasn't there. I really like Bartok. Like you said, Hank Azaria, absolutely delightful. And I agree, we need a sidekick, we need some comedy. All of that, absolutely. It's just that his like his motivation confuses me. Towards the end of the film, he tells Rasputin to forget about going after Anastasia. And I didn't really understand why. Like, isn't, isn't he his sidekick? Isn't he supposed to just, like, help him achieve his purpose? Is that supposed to be him becoming good? If it is, I don't really need that. And then, again, a small thing, but the film ending on him, like, making out with a female bat is just too weird for me. No, thank you. <laughs> That's them <laughs> no setting thanks. up Bartok the Magnificent. <laughs> oh, no thanks. I don't need it. <laughs> Let's talk about the weaknesses in the music. There are none. Yeah, agreed. Next. <laughs> There are none. I don't have many. I mean, I mean, what I want, do I want another song for, for Anya? I'll always take another song for her. I don't know. I, I just, um, it's not on Apple Music. That's my yeah, negative. Yeah, there you go. Agreed. I can't, li- I can listen to Swan Princess on Apple Music. I can't yeah. listen to Anastasia on Apple Music. Yeah. yeah. That's my weakness. 
Next. Let's do design. So this is where I'm going to talk about the CG effects. <laughs> and by CG effects, I'm talking like the a la Beauty and the Beast crane shot sort of moments where mm-hmm. we've blended a 2D scene with some CG effects. It's like the Hydra in Hercules yes. kind of thing. These seem to pop up all over the place in this film. And sometimes I find them to be very unnecessary. Like, Grandma's carriage in the opening, her car thing. Uh, it, we don't... Why? Yeah. Why? It didn't True. need to happen. Or there's like a three-second crane shot when Anya's just like walking up some stairs in the palace. But it's not even like this grand staircase or anything. It's just like a set of stairs. Like it's not even leading into like the ballroom. And it it, it starts to take you out of the story or just feel like a bit desperate. Kind of like a, look, we can do it too. Yeah, sort and of I thing. fell for it like a sucker. <laughs> yeah, where it's like, oh, Beauty and the Beast had a crane shot. Well, we have a crane shot. I'm like, yeah, well, their crane shot was incredibly earned and mm-hmm. so subtle that it looked like it was 2D animation, even though it was CG. Like, you can tell that the music box is CG. It almost looks like it's just like floating. It looks like a practical item. It's just, it's interesting. It's, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of thing that just like doesn't age well. I'm sure like at the time people are like, oh my God, look at yeah. pushing it forward. But like even now the Hydra in Hercules kind of is like, <sighs> I know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> the crane shot in Beauty and the Beast will live on forever. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. It yeah. blends beautifully and it's, it's flawless. But I do think that there are moments in the CG that is very justified. I think the train is justified. The boat is justified. The Eiffel Tower moment. Like, those are all really, really big moments. And so it's like, yeah, sure. Show us how you're pushing animation forward with these really, really cool moments. But to be like, the music box is going to be a CG. The skull on top of the reliquary is like CG. I'm like, (laughs) why? We didn't need it. We didn't need it. I know. And then... Listen, we've got a couple of those frozen characters in the background. We got that trick sort of going on where they just sort of like stand there and they're like not doing anything. Albeit these ones are are, are a little bit more beautifully realized than than they are in Swan Princess, yeah. but they're they're still frozen, so I, I mean I clock it. But uh I do have to say I can forgive those moments more in those like stylistic choices like in Paris holds the key. Because the like sort of impressionist painting style is like behind it. So it feels stylized. So I'm like, okay, yeah, we're seeing pointillist like people behind Dimitri as he's like looking through the the glass. Like I can forgive that. And I mean, I can forgive all of it because it's like it's animation. It's expensive. Like Mm -hmm. you can't animate everything. It's it's hard. But I clock it. Listen, I clock it. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Let's do a little check-in right now here at the end. Just like comparing movie to movie without going into this thing. Right now, I'm I'm slightly team Anastasia. I, I am too because I feel like just like factually, I have to be. And I can, that's okay. <laughs> I just really love Swan Princess. I, I, like I, if, I do too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have but to now we got to get into the longevity and like what right. Disney missed out on it. Yeah. And this is where things start getting tricky for me. I agree with you. So in terms of why it would have been good for Disney if Swan Princess was one of their films. So 
I think it would have been really smart of Disney to grab ownership over another extremely well-known princess and fairy tale story. It has all of the perfect elements, a great villain, a love story, transformations, and the opportunity to use music from a ballet the way that Disney did with Sleeping Beauty. As I've mentioned in other episodes, I think Swan Princess would fit seamlessly into the parks. I want to see Derek and Odette on a gorgeous float with swans all around it and water, like give me that immediately. And I want far longer than forever to be in a nighttime spectacular. So speaking of, although if Disney, of course, had adapted the story, we might not have gotten far longer than forever. It would have been a different team. But let's just go with the reality where we would have. I think this could become one of the top three, if not the most romantic Disney song. For me, I See the Light and A Whole New World are kind of the top, and I think Far Longer Than Forever would top both of them for me. It's about the way that love never dies. And I think, like, again, if we're going with the reality that that song still would have been written, I think that's a huge win. I also see Rothbart fitting in really well with the Disney villains lineup. I can easily see him being a part of the Boo to You parade. He's fun. People would want merch from him. He's evil. Good stuff happening there. And at the end of the day, I think the fact that Disney was pretty clearly trying to sabotage this film proves that there's something in it that they find threatening. Aside from maybe any pettiness toward Richard Rich, I think they really recognize the value of this story being told, and we're kind of kicking themselves for not getting there first. And also, like, y'all, you fired him. Yeah, like, like, come on! That's, like, that's so petty. Yeah, I think Odette and the Swan Princess, they are primed and ready for a nighttime spectacular in a way that, like, many other things aren't. Because what's very unique about this story is it it takes place at night. They're like yeah. night is such a pivotal part so of this. True. And the other part that it's really centered around is is water and and I just cannot mm. help thinking what the world of color sequence would look like Stop. for Swan Stop. Princess. Up. Like can you imagine the world of color thing with the transformation scene or, or even oh. with like the end titles oh. Uh, oh. score, like the suite that they do. Oh, it's so like it would just oh. be unparalleled. So good. Yeah, I know. I think Odette and Derek's relationship would also be an interesting new addition for the princess collection. I agree with you. In some ways, it feels similar to Aurora and Philip because of the betrothal and, and all of that. But they're different because they've had a complicated relationship yeah. with one another their entire mm-hmm. lives. They've grown up together. And there isn't really another relationship like that represented in Disney's royalty. Agreed. And what's more, you sort of touched on this as well, but at, at the time that this film was released, most Disney princes were just heroes, full stop. Yeah. But Derek is a hero... But he he also has has something to learn and something to prove as well mm-hmm. because of how he's unable to articulate his love for Odette beyond her beauty. And it's important that we also see Odette throw the brakes on the relationship with the person she loves because she wants to make sure that he loves her for who she is and all, all of that. But all in all, I think there are like some fresh things that are happening yeah, in these characters that Disney would benefit having as part of like their royalty lineup. Yeah, agreed. I also firmly think that this film could be adapted for the stage. I think <gasps> I could do something 
really <gasps> cool. Um, uh, in terms of theater technique, a la need, Julie Taymor, The Lion King. Um, I have to have it. Given that a stage adaptation hasn't been done yet, I'd say it gives this a little bit more of an advantage over Anastasia because in all reality, like Disney could sweep in tomorrow and buy this and just do it. So like it actually could it's be a based thing. off of something theatrical. It's just begging for it, please. Yeah. And Disney already had an audience for this film. So like I mm. it would have been a real asset for Disney to have because given where they were with the princess collection and how many young boys and girls do ballet from a young age, Swan Lake is yeah. already a part of their story vocabulary. Very true. It's yep. the more obvious choice than Anastasia of like, if we can only have one of these, which one are we going to do? Mm. Swan Lake is the more Disney choice. Absolutely. Like, just overall, I think Disney would be able to run with this story further than they could with Anastasia. Agreed. And for that, I think it's a huge miss that they didn't that they didn't do it. The mm-hmm. entire time I was watching this, I, I just kept thinking, like, if Disney had gotten hold of this film as a first draft, they could have run it home in a way that would make it a classic in every single home. What I mostly want to happen with this is I want Disney to buy this. And license it for And the I want stage. them to remake it. I want I want them to just put it on stage. I can keep the animated movie where it is. But I want them to buy the rights for Disney on Broadway. I want them to I want them to remake it and fix a couple things. I want it at the Vivian Beaumont Theater. <sighs> oh shit. <gasps> With the ballet right next door, please. Please. Oh my god. That would be so good. Oh my god. I don't really have much in terms of negatives and just like in terms of the sidekicks, I don't think the sidekicks in this are doing anything that Disney sidekicks aren't already doing. So for that reason, it's like... Yeah, and like, I, I don't know if I'm really looking for a Jean-Bob plushie. Yeah, no. Nah. Maybe a puffin. Maybe. But I am certainly looking for Odette's necklace. I'm looking for a Derek and Odette lounge fly. I want all of it. Oh my God. Uh, a cosplay Odette's dress lounge fly. <laughs> That's right up your shit. It, yeah, weakness, it really weaknesses, is. weaknesses. I, I, I would say you know it doesn't necessarily immerse you in a specific culture. I think if anything, it's mm-hmm. more Germanic uh, in right. some of the like, th- like the references to like Stuttgart and it, when you yeah. see the map, there's a couple like bergs in there. So I'm like, okay, you're kind right. of doing this like Germany. So like plugging it into Epcot, it doesn't necessarily like fit a pavilion, but. It would blend really well into Fantasyland. It I mean, like sure Cinderella would. Castle is very evocative of like Prince Derek's castle. It is. Uh, it is. So just put some water in front of it, baby. I don't really think that it has all of that many weaknesses of like what Disney wouldn't benefit from. Yeah, from having agreed. Swan Princess. Agree. So let's do Anastasia. Yeah. So listen, I've got. I've got quite a few things that, like, Disney could benefit from. Okay. So, like, stage adaptation. We've already had a successful stage adaptation that would be a real boon to be in the Disney Theatricals library because Mm -hmm. a lot of people are producing this are going to want to produce it. Yeah. I also think that there's still even a world where Disney could adapt Anastasia again 
and do just that like a full. That would be a, a full, record scratch. I know, but they could do like a full on translation of this. I, I wouldn't do it like in the next five years, but in the next 15 years, I could definitely see Disney attempting to remount Anastasia. And I think maybe if Disney did it, this was actually one of my strengths too. We might have gotten to keep Rasputin, which like in I the final that version they would keep of Rasputin. the yeah, in the final version of the the Broadway version we got, which is different, it works that he's not there. But I wanted to keep him, and I wanted to keep his song and all that. So I think in Disney the dark of the night that. is is just it's so good, it's bomb. I mean, listen, the most obvious is like we would have we would have a Russia pavilion in Epcot. Easily. We could put it right next to the France pavilion. So you could just like do one into the next. I mean, even if they didn't build a Russia pavilion, they could just add street performers doing Perry holds the key to your heart in the France pavilion. I have this written down as well. Agreed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just want people to perform that in the France pavilion. Like, yeah, even now, like just do it. Bartok shorts on Disney plus. Yeah. That's just a no brainer. Rasputin as a villain in the Disney collection Ooh. would be super great. Ooh. Yeah. Every single person would want to meet Dimitri in the parks. Let's be real. Oh my Let's God. Oh real. my God. Absolutely. And also, I think if we're just talking of like longevity of these films and what Disney missed out on, Anastasia had the stronger cultural impact more so than than Swan Princess. So if we're looking at which film as they stand is the bigger impact that Disney missed out on, Anastasia would be the bigger mm. impact one. Mm, mm. It, necessarily the one that Disney would benefit from? I don't know. Right. But I think then the other important thing that Disney missed out on and continues to miss out on is having Aaron's and Flaherty write a score for them. Because those two are geniuses. And just putting the respect on Liz Calloway. Oh, my God. Also that. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, weaknesses. So the Anastasia-Dimitri relationship, I, I do think it is somewhat represented in the Disney Princess collection with Rapunzel and Flynn. Uh, the sort of like devil-may-care hunk helps a princess discover who she is, somewhat enemies-to-lovers trope. Mm-hmm. So for that, like Disney isn't really missing out on that relationship. They sort of have that represented. Yeah. So much of what Anastasia, though, like, this is my biggest conceit of this is, like, like, so much of what Anastasia is is that it's the princess movie that's not Disney. Right. The fact that she isn't Disney is part of this film's identity. I talked about it before. Like, there are so many choices from design to story to music that is, is just about showing us a different way to do one of these stories Mm -hmm. that is not just the Disney way. So it almost feels like this story had to be done outside of Disney. I agree with you. I think if Disney had, had done Anastasia, it would not be what we have. I think it would, I I think it probably, it might've even flopped. Yeah. And, and then I think also like, Disney wouldn't have been able to do as many references to Fox's first film that they were able to do, where like they they're building off of something that exists already with this feature. So if Disney had produced it, like they wouldn't have Fox's first film to do that. So mm-hmm. it's it's why it's just so weird that's on Disney Plus. Like mm-hmm. she is the non-Disney princess. Yeah. Name a non-Disney princess. Anastasia's the first name out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, this real person was brutally murdered. And 
that's not, I don't know, that being part of the Disney princess line, I don't know. There's just something that just like isn't quite right is the same thing. That's an issue with Pocahontas and that that story and everything that happened to her is distorted and romanticized. And so I just, yeah, I don't know. That's not, I don't think we need that. I know what you mean. So I don't know. Overall thoughts, I'm very, very torn because if we're just comparing movie to movie, Anastasia is, is very much the winner for me. But if we're talking about which one did Disney really miss out on, yeah, I think Swan Princess is the winner for that. Yeah, and I think even more so because we had a little bit more to criticize just looking at the movie. Like, that proves even more that it's like, maybe just for the sheer fact alone that Disney would have had more money to put towards it, then it's like it proves that Disney... It's, it's a miss for them not having done it. So it's a weird winner, quote unquote, of a showdown. <laughs> yeah. So like, what is the winner of the showdown? I guess, I guess we, I don't know. Are we, did we Why do did all we do of this? this just to be like bullshit and just like <laughs> split it? Co- movie to movie, Anastasia is my winner. If we're saying which of these two movies is the better movie for Disney to produce, Swan Princess was the better movie for Disney to yeah. produce. Yeah, I agree. Make what you will out of that. I don't. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and I'm with you. I I would I would give it to Anastasia in terms of movie to movie. But I just do want to make note of my deep and genuine love of the Swan Princess, and like there are just little things that just I can't look past. But the good is so very good, and I just have to say that. Yeah, (laughs) when Swan Princess is good, it's good. Yeah, when it hits, it hits hard. Like it it really does. Home run. Yeah. 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 What an interesting I'm glad episode. that we did this. I am too. It was really fun. And we, I think this is the showdown that we have agreed the most on ever. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that we did this. And I know that this is probably a long episode for you all. But I yeah, think thank it, you. it warranted wow. it because, because when are we ever really going to be able to talk about these films again? Yeah, and I'm sure that they had a hold on all of you listening in some way, shape, or form when you were younger too. So it's just really nice. It was so nice to watch these again. These were both so important to me. And being able to revisit them and see all of the good that's happening in both of them was really cool. I loved it. All right. Well, thank you all very much for bearing with us. (laughs) If you liked what you heard, please remember to hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. So all of our episodes download to your device. You don't miss out on anything. And this is that moment. This is where you're going to tap in a few words about what you liked about the podcast and hit five stars into whatever podcast app you're listening to. These reviews help us so much. We read everything that you Mm -hmm. have to say. It helps other people find the podcast, makes a scene in in search results. Your review could be the difference between someone hitting play or, you know, scrolling by. So it means the world to us, especially in the age of so many podcasts out there and Mm -hmm. so much content. It helps us break through. So thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time to do that. And please follow us on social media. We are at Poor Unfortunate Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And we are at Unfortunate Pod on Twitter. I have a strong inclination that this episode is really going to strike a chord with a lot of you. I know these two movies were really important to a lot of us growing up. So please hop on over there. Leave some comments. DM us. I need all of your thoughts. And please, if you want to talk even more in depth about this episode... 
please join our private Facebook group, The Poor Unfortunate Fam. We've got about 100 folks in there. We discuss the episodes. It helps Connor and I get to know who's out there listening and what you want to hear more of. We've had some great conversations about Coraline and Ella Enchanted. So if you haven't listened to our previous non-Disney episode, catch that one too. And we would love to get to know you. So please join us. If you're looking for some merch, you can go to the Poor Unfortunate Shop. It's poorunfortunatepodcast.com slash shop. We've got all kinds of different things there. And if you've got any ideas for merch, feel free to shoot us an email, poorunfortunatepodcast at gmail.com, or you can go into the contact us form. If you're looking to collaborate, hit us up. We would love to talk to you about some ideas that you might have, or if you're an artist, uh, some some stuff that we could work out. So definitely hit us up. And then as I always say, it does take us a little bit of money to keep the podcast up and running and coming to you. We do have a PayPal account that is linked in our episode description. It's also in all of the website links on our social media accounts. Truly anything that you have to spare goes a long way for us. It could be $1, $5, $10 more than that. It could be a one-time donation. It could be a monthly donation. It all just goes right back into the podcast, helping us keep it free and ad-free for the most part. Special thank you to all of our monthly donors. Without you, this would not be possible. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. All right. We're officially halfway through this non-Disney cycle. so It's been amazing so far. So glad we did this. Oh, yeah. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. So (laughs) uh, we'll be back with our tips and tricks episode in a little bit. But until then, beluga Beluga sabruga. Should we say far longer than forever? (laughs) journey to the past no more mr nice guy (laughs) 